And it's after the 11 o'clock news on Wednesday, and that means left, right, and center with Schlemmer and Metz. We welcome Jeff Schlemmer and Robert Metz. Nice to see you both. And you. Morning, Jim. I thought today we would do something that we, we don't always do on the program, but if, it's, if the, uh, if the uh, issue warrants it... Um, you see, the show isn't about arguing, and it isn't about Jeff and, and Bob beating each other over the head every week, uh, figuratively speaking. It's also about the exchange of information, the exchange of ideas. And today, I, I wanted to pick the brains of both my guests, who are both well-educated, well-read, uh, erudite individuals. Uh, and I think because of uh, the value of what they've learned in their lives, valuable members of society. And we talked earlier today about the value of educating yourself to be a productive member of society. doesn't mean you have to have a string of degrees behind your name, but it means you have to have a sense of the importance of knowledge. Well, the story, and we talked about this a little bit earlier today, but I want to address it to my two guests, is this new poll by Angus Young that uh, questioned the people of Ontario what we think about skills learned in college or in university or apprenticeships and whatever, and, and what we think does the best for our future. University degrees were a surprisingly low uh, uh, choice. The people in Ontario, now these are the folks that were surveyed, of course, and it's accurate uh, within plus or minus 3%, 19 times out of 20, you know all the jargon. But basically, they're generally pretty representative. Only 3% of Ontarians believe that a university degree in, in liberal arts, which is the traditional BA, would provide valuable education for the workforce 10 years from now. Three percent. Uh, a majority of people thought, 66 percent, excuse me, uh, um, where am I? Get this right now, Jim. Well, I can't find it. Anyway, a whole bunch of people, <laughs> there's uh, some pretty specific numbers for you. A whole bunch of people thought that, uh, well, here we go, here we go, I found them. 24 percent think that an apprenticeship and a skilled trade is the most valuable thing to have. 35 percent said a college diploma in a technical occupation is considered the most valuable. And only 3% thought liberal arts degree from university had value. Now, the corollary of this, as I said earlier, the problem is that uh, a part of this survey also reveals that people, as a result of this, are saying that there's no value to a liberal arts education. There's no value to being a well-rounded individual. The only thing that has value today is whether you can turn it into dollars and cents at the pay window. And I thought because my two guests have some different thoughts on, on the economy and on the pay window and so on, that it would be instructive to hear from them. And again, I'm not sure they're going to disagree here, but it's more of a roundtable this morning. And uh, Jeff, let me start with you. You, uh, you work in a university setting some of the time. You, you lecture at Western in the law school. Uh, you have a university degree yourself. Uh, does it trouble you to hear that only 3% of Ontarians think that this is much of a, pre much of a, of a preparation for anything? Uh, yes, it does, and uh, I think that um, although technical education is very important, there's a strong place for that, and I think that it may even now still be the case that technical education is somewhat undervalued. I, I heard uh, it was the uh, president of one of the colleges talking recently about the funding inequities and uh, how he feels the community colleges still aren't valued as much as they should be and that people should be looking to hire people with technical training with diplomas rather than necessarily degrees. Having said that, I do buy into the whole general thing about uh, a liberal arts education as being a useful thing. And I think the reason it is, is because uh, the, the theory is that it teaches you a way of looking at life and it gives you all kinds of background information about the world we live in. And there's that old uh, saw about uh, people who, uh, who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And that... Uh, 
in life generally, there's an awful lot to, to be said for knowing something about philosophy, for knowing something about the history uh, of, uh, of our country and of the world generally. There's a lot of lessons to be learned in there. And I think it's still the case that a lot of employers want to hire people who have those kinds of um, skills in analytical thinking rather than necessarily a technical uh, training to do a particular thing. I think about law school now. In my case, it's, um, let's see, oh, I guess it's 15 years since I graduated from law school, and the law that I learned at that time has pretty well all changed. Mm-hmm. So the technical skills that I got at that time uh, about this statute says that or this case says that, that's all gone. And what the law school says is that what they're trying to do is to train people to think in a particular way, whether it's a good or a bad way. <laughs> for lawyers, I don't know. It ruins you as a writer, among other things. But uh, I think that it is important, though, to have that that sort of broad uh, analytical skill, and that employers will continue to value that. We still need idea people. Bob, let me ask you the same question. Is this is this troubling to you, this the sense that uh, Ontarians think a general education doesn't have much value anymore because oh. it doesn't translate at the pay window? Well, I think that is all that they're saying, is that a general education, such as a liberal arts uh, degree, is not greatly of value in and of itself. In the, in the marketplace, where you're in the economic marketplace mm-hmm. exchanging values. Uh, I certainly think any kind of education can be of value to the individual who receives it. But we have to, you know, there's always been this distinction between, I think, universities and colleges that I've, you know, I, I went through college in the 70s, that's mm-hmm. when I finished. And I even think since then it hasn't changed much, but people generally regarded uh, university as theory and college as practice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, it may boil down to that that uh, you know dispute between what's more valuable theory or practice, and I think I agree with Jeff on the, in the level that uh, um, theory is very important. I've always found that people who don't understand the principle of something have difficulty in applying it to mm-hmm. practice, especially when conditions change and they have to adapt, and all they know is some rote behavior related to a specific skill. That's where a skill is a little different from, I think, studying more theoretical things. But I think underlying the whole whole issue is, is when you're talking about value, is of value to whom and who's paying for this education and, and what are we getting back for it? Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who believes everyone should be 100% responsible for their own education. Mm-hmm. And I also believe that, you know, within the political context we're in today, the government can assist you in that. And uh, But I don't think the government should be taxing uh, Peter to pay for Paul's education. I think they only should be taxing Peter to pay for Peter's education, if he so chooses to have one. So I don't see a society where money has to be an obstacle to education. But when one is personally responsible for the education you choose, you're going to make a much more rational choice when you do go to a college or university because you're going to be looking to the future in terms of what you want that education for. Let me ask you about this. I ask both of you. Now, Bob, you alluded a moment or two ago to the, uh, the, 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 the previous conception that university was more about theory and college was about practical. Um, I don't. I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes by saying that I think there was a. An, a you can take one step beyond that. And for many years, rightly or wrongly, it was felt that university was where the really intelligent people went, and college was where the not quite so intelligent but still good folks went. Now we know that that's not true um, in terms of the challenges of the level of education in each of those institutions. Um, but the perception certainly was there. I suspect the perception still is there, and I wonder whether this is any sense of of a of a inadvertent dumbing down of our attitude towards society. If we're now saying, well, yeah, you can go to university, but you know, like, so what? And so you're smart, big deal. 
Uh, we don't care about that. What matters is, do you know which end of a wrench to hold? Well, now, again, I don't want to disparage anybody who works I, with a wrench. I think there's a bit of the opposite viewpoint, certainly on, on the part of a lot of employers today, who think that what's coming out of the universities are a bunch of dummies, and, and they'd rather have the college-educated mm -hmm. kids who can apply what they know right away and be useful to an employer who can't wait to educate you, so to speak. Um, but, but, you know, you're right. Like, I, I know when I first went to Fanshawe College, I originally went into the television radio arts mm -hmm. because they actually had the superior facilities. Mm -hmm. um, at that time in the 70s, as, uh, the station at uh, campus was a very small thing operating on a few watts, whereas uh, their radio station was almost like, quote, a real one, mm -hmm. you know, that you could practice on. Mm -hmm. So certainly if you wanted to get into the field, people felt that was the better place to go. I don't think there was any issue of more intelligence at one mm -hmm. center than the other. Mm -hmm. I think it was more of where they saw the the better options for their future. But it's, it's interesting too in the sense that I like I've taught at Fanshawe and at, at Western and uh, I would say the same thing that as far as the uh, the students that I that I had uh, I wouldn't say that one was any brighter than the other it was more a matter of which career path they wanted and one it was uh, to be a paralegal which would get you into the legal profession faster but perhaps uh, not give you as as broad a range of choices once you get out there um, but, but certainly as far as uh, the quality of, uh, of the work they did, I wouldn't distinguish. But you, maybe it's a generational thing, but I think back to when I was in my teens and, and talking to my parents about higher education, which for a variety of reasons, as our listeners know, I never achieved. But there was certainly a sense in our house, and I'm talking in the 1960s, that, well, you could go to college, but you're smart enough to go to university. Obviously, that whole attitude, and I, I suppose that's a healthy thing, that that attitude has changed. Yeah. And now it's, uh, you know, if you're so smart, figure out the best place to go for you and go there. And that's 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 what's happening. Well, and I, and I gather that our, our community colleges only came on and seen in the 60s. Uh -huh. Was it prior to that? Mm -hmm. what, what was there? I, well, I don't think... Prehistory for me. <laughs> I don't think there was much of anything other than More private... More apprenticeship programs. Yeah, apprenticeship programs on the one side and places like Westervelt on the other, I think, were the two kind of the two kinds of, as far, to, to, as far as I can remember, anyway, those were kind of the other options. The United States had more of a college system where you had universities and you had trade schools and colleges and so on. We had much less of that here. But apprenticeship is the key word. There were a lot of apprenticeships in those days. And kids would come out of high school, uh, particularly in, from the technical schools like Beale Tech. I remember my brother-in-law, Bob Haas, who was a mechanic. Um, there was a mechanic in his early career. I guess he's still a mechanic, but he doesn't earn his living that way. Uh, I remember him telling the story of uh, being at, in automotive uh, arts or whatever they call it, technology at, at Beale, and the teacher basically could place every single student, could place them in an apprenticeship at the end of the year, uh, unless you were a real dolt. But people were coming, and they wanted new apprentices for that field. And oh. they, they'd come to the teacher and say, who's your best wrench this year, and who's your second best, and who's left, and whatever. And they'd all go places. They'd all go into apprenticeships. It doesn't happen anymore. It's changed. The whole thing has changed. Well, I know that when I finished college, and I didn't finish in radio arts, I finished in accounting and business administration, but I know my whole class was practically placed by the last day of school. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, that was a tremendous uh, reputation that Fanshawe had mm -hmm. at the time. That was one reason people went there, because yeah. that was part of the service they offered. Um, it's funny, though, you know, you were talking about higher education. There's another angle out there in the marketplace about higher education as being almost a handicap. In the, in the working place because a lot of employers when they see someone with a higher education and they don't they feel the person might be overqualified yeah. for the job that they're yeah. willing to give them and so they don't want to invest in that person for fear that that person will leave the moment another opportunity comes along and um, 
that's been very frustrating for a lot of graduates I know that who've told me that they have that problem. You know, that you know, I have a friend who has an MA, is in addition to a BA, and has applied for jobs and left the MA off the resume. Yeah, there's a lot of people actually dumbing down their resumes. Exactly, yeah. exactly, for just what he exactly. said. And it's not the point of view, uh, it, because we, we had a discussion about this, and I said, well, you know, that you've got to understand from the employer's point of view, he's got a, con a legitimate concern here. He thinks you're a highly educated, highly motivated individual. He thinks this particular job is not one that's going to satisfy you in the long run, and he doesn't want you leaving in six months or a year. And my friend said, well, that's not the point. This is the job I want to do. I want this job. I want to do this didn't get the job because his resume was too much stuff on it and he dumbed it down his resume now is a well actually he's working now but he got the job with just a just a BA on it mm -hmm. and he in fact has an MA that's kind of frightening to me that you'd have to take that step we're gonna pause for a moment 643 1290 star 1290 on the Cantel Schlemmer and Metz my guests on left right and center and we're talking about the future of higher education the value of higher education and and what else we have to put into that equation we welcome your calls and comments at 643 1290 and it's left right and center with uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer guys I want to ask you because you both have kids um, now, uh, Bob, your daughter's uh, finished with her education now? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but Jeff, you've still got young kids Formal in Formal education, surely. Well, indeed, well. yes. <laughs> but you've got younger kids in the system. Yep. Bob, I'm going to ask you maybe to, to go back a few years, uh, pretend, if you will, that your daughter's a little younger. Um, when you're looking at the, your kids' futures and they come to you, both of you, and say, Dad, uh, I don't know what to do about my education. Uh, I've seen this survey result, and I, you know, I, my friends are talking about it, and I think that... Uh, you know, maybe I should go to college, or maybe I should get an apprenticeship because I, I want to get a job. What would you say, Jeff? What would you say to your kids? Um, I'm, obviously, I don't think you're going to say no out of hand, but how would you advise them when they come and say, I'm not sure, am I doing the right thing, Dad? Well, I guess what I'd want them to do is get as much information as they could, and if it looked like the way they wanted to go was was uh, a college route, that'd, that'd be... Uh, but they want a job, you see. They want a job, and well, that, yeah, I could go to university. I like English literature. I think it'd be great fun to be a university professor, but I probably can't get a job, so maybe I'll be a motor mechanic instead. Yeah, well, I, I guess that's where I say I need, they need to have information, and they need to find out whether this is reality, whether it actually is easier to get a job with, with a college diploma or a college yeah, diploma right now, and uh, I I don't think myself that that's the case. I think that uh, realistically, uh, well, we've gone through sort of an unusual time in the last number of years where we've had this high unemployment, but uh, I think we're coming back into a boom economy where jobs are distributed fairly regularly across the, the spectrum. My key for them would be do something you like, and, and we've talked a bit here about you probably won't end up doing what you've trained for anyway. Yeah. You know, as your career takes you along uh, in your path, they say nowadays that you can expect uh, to have three careers careers over the course of your lifetime, uh, you know, which could be totally unrelated. Well, I'm way ahead. I've had your extra two already myself. <laughs> you, you can stay a lawyer until you retire, Jeff. I got you covered, pal. Bob, what about, uh, what about your daughter? What would well, you say to her my, in that My situation? daughter, Danielle, actually has already made that decision. I mean, uh, she, she finished high school at the top of her class. She was an honor student all the way through grade school, high school, but she decided to go to work, and that's what she's doing now. I think in her mind, she still sees... Uh, uh, those options is being open to her that she can go back anytime mm -hmm. she wants. And that's and much can, more common now uh, than it used to be around, around law school. There's tons of material. I think you had a caller this morning that reflected Talked that, that, that attitude, yeah. and I, I see that in a lot of people. And, uh, you know, with the, with the changing marketplace, the demands, the, uh, you know, the, uh, let's face it, the poor reputations that some of the schools are having lately, mm -hmm. people are making different choices. But to me, the key is they've got to do something that they like doing. You know, that I see people who go through law school, for instance, because they think it's going to give them a career or whatever, and they don't really like doing it, and they get out and they find that they 
they can't do it. <laughs> let's take let's take the example though of the uh, the young individual who graduates from high school, high marks in high school. Uh, the three of us sitting here, and most of the people listening at home, know that those kids, as much, as bright as they may, or as as informed as they may think they are, and and in spite of the fact they probably know more at their age than we do or did at the time, there's still an awful lot for them to learn about the world. You never convince them of that, but it's true. Um, same question to both of you again. Let's say money's not an object, and let's say the kid has an interest in higher education, um, and there's no particular time frame, no time constraints. Would you suggest that they look at a liberal arts education first to find out more about the world, to find out more about themselves, and then when they're perhaps more prepared to make, make an informed choice, then maybe then it's time to go to college, maybe then it's time to take up a trade? Do you think you would you would suggest that to them, or would you leave it to their devices to make that decision on their own? Sorry, well, they have to fit a year in uh, traveling abroad in there as well, as well somewhere. Well, <laughs> ideally. Yeah, but, I, but ideally, so. we want them to do that, yeah, don't we? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, generally, I think when we talk about liberal arts education, we're talking about the humanities, mm -hmm. and as opposed to the sciences yes. and, and and the hardcore math and and the strict disciplines. And and of course, there's been sort of a, an almost battle between those two areas. I think uh, actually, I think that the humanities area on the university campuses is is the cesspool of where all our crazy ideas are coming from uh, in terms of politics and the mm -hmm. basic state of the nation. Um, you know, that's where it's all starting. This whole philosophy of egalitarianism rather than an objective standard of education is really in the humanities area because mm -hmm. it's such a subjective thing. Mm -hmm. um, it has been for a long time, well, though, too. The universities are always sort of the center of, of uh, unrest right. and fomenting dissent and so on. Uh, wherever there's a revolution, there's a university well, behind it. I always found that whenever I took a history class or a geography class or what they call social studies or anything in there, it was basically brainwashing and telling you a certain point of view politically. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but looking back now, yeah. I mean, I had openly avowed communist teachers in, in some of my high school classes who mm -hmm. told you that's what they were, that was the philosophy you were going to get, and that's the spin on history you got. So it made it interesting. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes those were the most lively classes I ever went to. But uh, you have to realize what you're taking away with you, and I think too many of the kids that are coming out of these courses are literally al almost closed-minded to new ideas and different way of doing things, and I think they have a pretty tough time with the marketplace when they get out there. Well, is that a failure of uh, the education system, though? Because the, inten so. the intention of the liberal arts education was exactly the opposite. The I, intention I, was I, to open your horizons. I think the students coming out of liberal arts today are a totally different breed than the students that came out of liberal arts in the 50s and 60s. I, I think you've seen quite a turnaround in terms of expectations and, and attitude and discipline. And, uh, you well, know, a lot of that comes, too, from, from the high school preparation as well. I would you say, like, the, when you talk about the 60s, though, the 60s was a time of huge change. Uh, yeah. And uh, when I think about the later 60s and sort of the revolutionary ideas started, in Berkeley sort of. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, and that's continued on in your mind? Uh, to some degree, although in a lot of ways people have become more conservative, not in the way I would support, though, in a, in a negative sort mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, uptight kind of way, I don't know how to put it. Um, very more closed to difference of opinions and dissent, and uh, there's an increased, I think, intolerance on campus for, you know, even certain scientific studies. Well, there's no question. That, yeah, there's no question the intolerance has grown by leaps and bounds. Yeah. And that's coming out of the university, so I, I have to ask myself, is this where I want to see any of our tax dollars go? I wouldn't if I had the choice. The the uh, the, the idea that uh, that we have tied um, uh, 
and we've been kind of talking around this, but the idea that this we, we, we've tied sort of the failure of some aspects of our society to this failure of liberal arts education. Um, if we look back over the last 200 years of Western society, of, of our society, um, we have a situation, I think, where we were led for the most part of that period by people who had the conventional education in the humanities. Um, I think you can make a case that that leadership in a broad sense was beneficial to our society that we certainly are a lot better off materially than we were 200 years ago and we may not be all that deficient spiritually uh, we, that's kind of debatable but we may not be um, as we look ahead to the future we're going to be led by succeeding generations of people who do not have those sensibilities who because that as you point out Bob that education has changed uh, the values that were once passed along, the values of community service, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera that, that were intrinsic in, a, in an education in the humanities, have sort of been divorced from that now. It's almost two separate streams. Are we heading for trouble, do you think, because we've lost that? I don't think so. I think that that, I think a liberal arts education you can get on the Internet, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, to me, I'm continuing my liberal arts education today with, with the choice of books that I read, the the, the, the pe periodicals I'll, I'll, you know, read mm -hmm. regularly to keep up to date on things. Uh, and that means going back in history, too. We're always finding out more about history mm -hmm. every day. So it, it's, it's a never-ending process, education. And I think too often when we're talking about education, we're talking about paid-for, formal, government-subsidized education. And I just don't think that's where most of life is at. I think that's, uh, that's kind of that kind of an education shouldn't even be a liberal arts. It should strictly be... Uh, Skills-oriented and, and scientific. It's in that kind of area. education with a capital E. Yeah. Let's go back to the phones or go to the phones with Andrew. Good morning, Andrew. Hey guys. Yes, sir. I just wondered, don't you find that uh, I think just saying a university degree is a bit misleading because I think the guys that take the sciences and stuff in university are the ones that get the job. Well, that, that's true, but we did make the point earlier that yeah. we were talking about a liberal arts degree. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You just look at any Asian student that comes over; they're not taking the liberal arts, not they're taking the engineering and mm -hmm. all the sciences. Mm -hmm. uh, and just just saying that. You know that study that that the uh, just a university education degree. It's better to go to college. I don't think it's true. I think it depends what you take. No, but not, no. Again, let me make the yeah. point, Andrew. The study doesn't say that. The study yeah. talks about a liberal arts specifically as being not with a, with not much value. Oh, okay. The yeah. sciences, yes, that falls in the same category as going to college for for a, 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 a technical course. Yeah, and those people that they ask about these liberal arts ones, like I've known some people that take them and it. They just go there to please their parents. Yeah. And I that. think that's the biggest mistake. Oh, i got to get a degree because my dad wants me to go. You know, they yeah. got the money to send them, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of stupid, but that's what I think they're there for. Good points today, Andrew. Thank right, you, sir. Bye-bye. And he, Andrew raises a very interesting point there, too, because that has also been part of the... How do I put this now without offending anybody? The tradition of the shall we say, the aspiring classes. Let's put it that way. So we don't have to assign economic value to it, but people in our society who have aspired to better things for themselves or for their children, the assumption has been that that, that aspiration is wrapped up in a university degree and that we've had more than one generation, I'm sure large numbers of kids who've gone to college or gone to university rather, simply because mom and dad expected them to. And we footed the bill, as Bob's noted, and it's been a very expensive bill to pay. We've done it for year after year after year after year. I think part of the problem for a parent is you're afraid that if they leave school, they won't get back in. And sort of you, you always see the athletes saying, 
you know, stay in school, you know, whatever you do, stay mm-hmm. in school and so on. And and to some extent, Andrew, you know, may, may be right in the sense that uh, people are sort of parking themselves at school until they figure out where they're going to go. Although, having said that, I think about the law degree, for instance, in order to apply for law school, you have to have at least two years of, uh, of undergrad degree in, in whatever. It can, be liber- it can be anything, absolutely any... Uh, two years of university, and I think that the rationale, again, is that you need to spend a couple of years uh, maturing, a couple of years of sort of thinking about things, a couple of years of sort of broadening your horizons from high school, I guess. Mm. And uh, I don't think that's such a bad thing. Another thing that I sort of worry about is that uh, I'm afraid that, that kids are... Uh, under pressure to make career decisions earlier than they used to. We keep talking about get, getting rid of grade 13 or OAC, as they call it. And I think about you know people who are 17 deciding, uh, okay, I'm going to go off and I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a lawyer or whatever. At that age, what do you know? You know you've got yeah. an awful lot of living to do before you can make that kind of a decision, I think. And, and unfortunately, once you get into a track one way or the other, it's a long time getting through. Like for law, it's like five, six, six and a half years to get through uh, uh, medicine. Similarly, once you're committed, it's sort of hard to change mm-hmm. courses midstream. Uh, so I think there is something to be said for if it's not a uh, time spent in university, that, that there's something that kids need to be doing to get a bit older before they're making those kinds of decisions. With the, the uh, admissions at universities uh, and the changing picture of the classes coming into them now in terms of, of uh, abilities, we've heard a lot of stories, again, about lowering of standards standards at some universities because they're looking for, for uh, you know, how do you make your money? Volume, volume, volume. The more students they have, the more likely it is they will be able to continue to fund their university as a whole. And that some of the entrance requirements on various courses are up and down and up and down from where they may have been. Um, and, but the question has also been raised whether, whether your expertise, whether your academic expertise um, it should be the only criteria. Now, there are some disciplines where it's not anymore, medicine being one, where I know they're much more uh, aware of the person the, the person as a whole, rather than not just their, their transcript. I don't know whether law or some of the other disciplines have followed that yet. But uh, is, is that a good move or a bad move? Is it just dumbing down, or is it important to look at a broader range of people's skills and abilities? That's a two-edged sword. I think you're going to find there's a point of no return where, you know, the school, a school's reputation counts for something. That's why people will go to a higher education, because that college or university has a rep. If they lower that rep too much and it loses that reputation, then there's no incentive to go back to that school. That's going to backfire in the long term. Um, but you bring up a good point. I, I really believe that people who make it in life, education or not, are people who've got the attitude to do it who put out the effort. So so often, I remember when I was an employer for a big trust company, people with a, quote, higher education would come in with this sense of entitlement, as though, you know, I've got an education, I'm better than that guy over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, right away, you've got an attitude problem, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, I would never hire people like that. You, you could just tell where they were going, where their heads were at. They were just in this myopic little self-centered mm-hmm. universe of theirs. And... Uh, People who really want to get ahead, I've, I know high school dropouts who become millionaires once or twice over, you know, because they put the work into a business or yeah. some effort or some passion that they have, and they just follow it through. And I don't think any education teaches that. Well, yeah, you look at uh, entrepreneurs, people who sort of build all the, the buildings in our society, who build the companies and so on. There's no school you go to to learn that. And uh, the closest, I guess, would be a master's business uh, 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 MBA, Master's Business Administration degree, but even that uh, doesn't teach you to be an entrepreneur. It doesn't teach you to take risks. Risks you know? is, is a big thing. I yeah. think the older you are coming out of school, the more 
set you are already in your ways and mm-hmm. the less risk taker you are. That's why so many great entrepreneurs seem to be people who started very young because they developed those risk taking yeah. uh, habits very early and didn't get uh, completely uh, you know immersed in that university environment well, where, we t- we where we just turn out all widgets. We basically. talked early in the show about the, the the more we learn about genetics that they're now the scientists believe they can predict uh, risk taking uh, uh, um, tendencies in individuals from studying their genetic makeup. Uh, it may be the time will come and we'll say, well, we need so many risk takers in our society to keep things moving, so we'll make sure we have that many, and the rest of you can just do whatever you do. <laughs> like, I, I look at people like uh, Conrad Black, for instance. I'd be interested in knowing what, what his educational background is. I, I s- suspect that it's not a, uh, a specific education for technical skills. I suspect he had a liberal arts private mm-hmm. school background, and I, I, I suspect as well that he would consider that to be a valuable thing. That the that the history that he's learned about and the and the uh, the the philosophy and so on, I think he would consider is an important part of what makes him a successful business person. Uh, and again, it, whether it's a question of sort of him having spent time sort of uh, finding out about the world and finding out about history and so on uh, before he sort of went off to uh, to start buying little newspapers and uh, and become a billionaire, uh, or whether uh, it was. The things, the substantive things he learned, the the historical mistakes that he determined not mm-hmm. to remake, for instance, uh, I think that has a utility. But it's it's one that's intangible. It's hard to identify that as being something that's going to be good for your career. It's easy to say if I take a course in, uh, you know, how to program computers, that has uh, has a value tomorrow, and I can open the the one ads, and there it is. But how do you how do you do it? Let's let's say you're that young person and you're going to say, I want to be successful in my life. And we'll take four examples very, very quickly. Four wealthy people. Bill Gates, Conrad Black, Sam Walton, who's now, now uh, deceased, but yeah. very wealthy, and Warren Buffett. Uh, four of the wealthier people on the planet. I'm not sure Conrad is quite up that high, but he's heading in that direction. Now, those four individuals have all been extremely successful, but in totally different, ma- in different ways. Conrad started out with a few million dollars in his pocket. Now, I don't know whether that makes a, a difference or not, but I suspect that it's probably a little easier to make the second million if you've already got the first one. Now, I don't know for sure, because a lot of people have blown the first one. Statistically, I think people who inherit money blow it. So you've, got, you've got Warren Buffett, who's, who has made billions of dollars by simply being an, an astute... Uh, and unpanicky buyer of stocks. And Buffett's premise, he's not one of these wheeler dealers who buys and sells over and over, you know, day after day. He's bouncing his portfolio around. Basically, Warren Buffett buys a stock and keeps it forever, basically. And he's made billions doing that. Bill Gates came up with new technology at a time when there was a hole for it and just drove his truck right through that hole. And, and there you are. Sam Walton took one of the oldest, not technologies, but marketing, and, and, and applied some old-fashioned common sense to marketing and made a gazillion dollars. There's four very and very successful guys, and if you're a young individual and say, I want to be as successful as the four of them, where do you go to learn any of that? Well, exactly. Yeah, like Gates had uh, had uh, some technical training, but he dropped out of university to found Microsoft and never looked back. Uh, you look at uh, Walton and uh, and Buffett. I don't know. Uh, I've read a biography of Sam Walton, and I don't believe that he had a uh, a university. I don't degree. think he did either. I think he, he was started, just a high school guy in a way. Yeah, and he started out working at I think it was uh, Franklin Five and Dime or yeah. something was the name of the stores in the southern United States, and had a good idea and saw it through. But yeah, you're not you can't teach that in a university. And one of the things that I, that I I sort of say. To 
tongue-in-cheek to some extent, but that is that uh, you know, they talk about those who, who can do, those who can't teach, that uh, in a way, if you're somebody who wants to be really rich, if you're going to a school, you're you're being taught by people who are not rich, mm-hmm. by definition. <laughs> <laughs> now, they may have a lot of good ideas, but if they have the same ideology as you do, they haven't succeeded in well, it. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the, old, the same old, the old size, and if you're so smart, why aren't you rich, right? Uh, I've heard that a lot. You know, it's it's it's. I don't think it's a question of where do you go to learn the kinds of things that Bill Gates and Conrad Black and the rest of them learned. I, I think there are many sources. I, I know I've got all these, you know, make a million dollars in, in six months or less, you know, mm-hmm. type of courses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the principles they outline in those things are very, very valid. You yeah. can learn that in an afternoon. Yeah. Now, go out and apply it. Mm-hmm. Totally different story. Um, sometimes a person who may understand the principles just cannot apply them and doesn't know how to, or, or doesn't have the discipline to do it. That's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to is people's basic behavior. Other things take uh, precedence, become higher priorities than, than the goal they're supposed to be setting but for themselves. But aren't we now, haven't we now come full circle back then to where we started today, which is to talk about the liberal arts education, which traditionally was uh, one of the main parts of that was to teach you that discipline, to allow you to order your thoughts, to, as the, the trite saying goes, to teach you to learn. Well, it's funny you should say that. I always found the liberal arts a totally undisciplined area of education and thought, and the disciplined area was math, physics, sciences. Those were very disciplined. You know, one and one is two. Sorry, it doesn't matter what opinion a teacher has about it. Um, so that, to me, is discipline, where, as in the other humanities, the teacher can go all over the place with it. Just basically, you almost say anything he wants to believe. It depends, um, depends how you define discipline, though, that the theory is, in those cases, that by throwing all these ideas out, it makes you think about stuff, and you have to sort of crunch it through in your own mind and figure out what you think at the end of having heard all the communists and, and everybody else. At the end of the day, you have to sort it through and figure it out. But I, but I hear what you're saying, though, that one of the important uh, uh, virtues that I would say all of those four men have is that they're all extremely hard workers, and uh, by definition, liberal arts doesn't specifically go out and teach you to do that, uh, whereas if you're going to uh, to be a, a physicist or somebody who has to learn a lot of technical, uh, memorize a ton of technical stuff for starters, uh, that's a lot of grinding, a lot of just working through and persevering. Mm-hmm. And, it, and a liberal arts definition or education, I don't think, uh, is going to help you to do that or to develop those habits or skills. I, I was actually reading, coincidentally, a conversation on the weekend in Fortune magazine between uh, Sam, or, um, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. And Buffett said the most important thing in his life was developing habits. And he said you learn habits and get into them and stay with them, and that's, that's what will carry you through. Uh, again, liberal arts education isn't going to teach you that. One of our habits on this program is to break from time to time to bring you some important messages, and we're going to indulge that habit right now. Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metzer with me on this edition of Left, Right, and Center. Perhaps uh, we could almost say it's just center, center, center today because we're not really disagreeing. We're just kind of talking about this whole issue of higher education, what it means to our society, and uh, and the role that it plays in our society. We were chatting off the air about uh, people like Warren Buffett again and... and uh, um, the attitudes it takes about, and, and Jeff, you said to a moment or two ago about habits, that habits were the most important thing that, that, that uh, Buffett had, uh, had uh, uh, mentioned. And Bob, you mentioned about many of these um, courses and so on that are available, and those that I've seen of those all seem to have that same thing. One of the key things, again, is habit. Get into a routine of doing this, whether it's a routine of thinking positively or a routine of always doing your homework on a project. Whatever it is, you've got to do it and do it and do it and do it. Traditionally, again, one of the roles that university has seen to do is to 
teach you that discipline. You have to go to class. We don't have to go, but you should. Uh, if you want to get the information, you have to write... There's the an old saying that 80% of success is just showing up. I think that's so true. But you're there. You've got to write the exams. If you don't write the exams, you don't pass. So you've got that certain amount of discipline. But I want to turn around the other side of the experience, the university experience and college experience, too. And that's the social part of it. Uh, let's face it, for a lot of people, it's the best time of their lives. Why is that? Because they drink like fools. They do all kinds of stupid things that they wouldn't have done previously, and they won't probably do after. And society kind of indulges that. Is that a necessary part, do you think, of the growing process, this, this, this emphasis on party, 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 and let's get hammered, and all of the stuff that goes on? Not for every student, but for many students. I think it's a little inevitable when you put that mass of students in one small geographic area, like a university campus, that you're bound, bound to have the same kind of behaviors on campus as you do in the rest of society maybe to a slightly greater degree simply because they're younger and have more energy. Well, it seems like, uh, and uh, I've, I've told my kids to uh, get ready for the fact that when they're going to university, they're not going to do it at Western. They've got to go move somewhere else, live somewhere else. And, and to me, that's an important part of the growing up process. And I think that, uh, you know, humans are, are, are complicated machines. And when they go off and, uh, and do uh, stand on their own for the first time, they're going to do all kinds of things. They've got to try things. You can't tell somebody, you know, don't do this. They've got to find out for themselves. And I think that that is something that's very useful. Um, a lot of people don't get the chance to do that, unfortunately, that they're, they're right off into work right off the bat. You know, it's interesting to me that you would say that about your kids. Um, my nephew went to university, lived at home. My niece, university, uh, living on her own now, but in the same city, and we're encouraging her to stay here. My attitude, although I'm not a parent, my attitude is exactly the opposite. I want the kids around where I can not maybe keep an eye on them, but where I can be there if they need me. Yeah, but it, most kids come out the other end more or less intact. And, and to me, they need to develop that independence. They need to know that their laundry is not going to get done for them. Unless they're off doing it, it ain't going to get done. Uh, you know, and, and again, it's, it's kids, you can't uh, generalize. Uh, everyone's different. But uh, it seems to me that part of the liberal arts thing historically was you went off to a, a frat or a sorority or whatever. Uh, you met a lot of people from a lot of different places. And uh, say you spent time with them, it was sort of a broadening of your horizons beyond your family. And I think that's something that had a lot of utility. And also finding out that there's a whole world out there. Let's go back to the phones. And Kimberly joins us. Hi, Kim. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. That's good. Um, yeah, I, I've heard part of your conversation this morning, and I just wanted to call in. Um, I think part of the misinformation um, for, for getting jobs after post-secondary education yeah. starts in high school, as far as my experience anyway. Um, if you were an excellent student, you were going to university. Mm-hmm. If you weren't so good, you went to college. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't necessarily the best thing. <laughs> now, is that not, you sound to me like you're a little bit younger than I am. And I mentioned that when I was young back in the 60s, that was the definite perception. Yeah. The smart kids went to university and the not quite so smart ones went elsewhere. Is that you're saying that's still happening in your, in your experience? Yeah, um, at least at the high school I went to. Um, for instance, um, one guy we know, he's a long-standing friend of ours. He, uh, he's a real whiz at computers. He's brilliant. And he went to university. And he got his diploma, and he <laughs> couldn't get any jobs. So he had to go to college so that he could learn programming because mm -hmm. the university wasn't uh, specific enough. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, he could have saved a lot of time <laughs> if uh, the guidance counselors had been a little more on the ball. <laughs> now, did, did his experience at university, though, does that not add to his value now that he's got the other training as well? 
Um, I suppose it looks good on paper as far as practical um, for him. I don't think so. Mm. Um, however, I mean, this it depends on what you want to do. I'm not discounting the university experience. I went to university, and um, college wouldn't have been the thing for me. But uh, as far as liberal, liberal arts education, um, you just have to know what you're getting into. Um, if you actually want to be a teacher, uh, go for that. If you want to do something else, do that. But you have to be focused or have a game plan. Uh, so many people, they go, they take, they get their degree, and then they go, oh, now what? <laughs> yes, yeah, ain't that the truth. And that's not university's fault. Mm -hmm. That's theirs. Mm -hmm. And we see a lot of that. <laughs> well, do we have to, I mean, do we? should we expect people, though, to know at 17 or 18 or 19 that this is the path I want to take? Is it reasonable to expect that they should be able to make that decision? Well, for me, I always knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> But you're, but you're a very lucky individual to be able to say that. Yeah. Lots of people don't. Yeah, I know, I know. My, my siblings don't mm -hmm. know what they want to do. But mm -hmm. um, I think if you have a few ideas, um, I think if you, don't, if you really don't have a clue, university might be a good idea, especially if you've got an area, mm -hmm. and then you can narrow it down. Mm -hmm. Kimberly, let me ask you, what, what, what was your goal? What was your dream? To be a teacher. And you're a teacher now? Well, I teach piano. That was kind of my uh, secondary mm -hmm. uh, game plan. That was mm -hmm. kind of my plan in waiting. And what I found out was that, uh, well, it was going to be really hard to, to get into the system as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had been teaching on the sidelines, and I realized that, uh, you know, private piano teaching was something that I actually really wanted to do, and I was, I was going to be much happier doing that anyway. So. Well, yeah, you're, you're very fortunate to have discovered that and ended up where you wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Thank you for calling today. You're welcome. It's great to hear from you. Bye-bye now. She's a very lucky young lady to be able to do that. I, uh, well, I, I knew what I wanted to be when I was young, Ken. I was going to be a rock and roll star. And as you can see, it worked out. Hmm. This is Left, Right, and Center on uh, 1290 CJBK. Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer with us. Well, Bob, you've mentioned already that you've uh, your original goal and when you went to college, that's not where you ended up. Jeff, what about you? Did you always want to be a lawyer? No, nope. no, not all. Uh, in fact, I wanted to be. I wanted to go to Sheridan College. I knew that, and I wanted to be an industrial designer uh, right up until sort of midway through university when I met a very smart woman who uh, was going off to university and I decided, well, I better go to university too if I'm going to hang around with her mm -hmm. and uh, change things completely and, and the rest is history. Uh, and again, that uh, for me, in my own mind, sort of illustrates for my kids how, uh, how changeable things can be and uh, how you really don't know. Uh, to me, I guess uh, if, if there's nothing else they can do except trying to keep options open, um, that's, that's to me as much as they can expect to accomplish at high school. But one thing it certainly does emphasize is the importance of getting information about these different things. As Kimberly had said that uh, for her friend that uh, college was the place to go. And uh, in that case, uh, I, I, I don't know how much uh, time guidance counselors have to spend with kids nowadays, but it would have been really nice if, uh, if that had been identified. And mm -hmm. I think that to say if you're smart to go to university just makes no sense at all, that it's far more complicated than that. And uh, that, you know, people people uh, are all different. They have different goals in life. They have different things that they want to accomplish. Uh, you may be smart, but you may be lazy, for instance. Uh, there's all kinds of variables in there that people have to take in uh, bear in mind. Uh, and the ultimate goal, hopefully, is that they find something that they really like doing. Right, let's get Sean on the phone. Hi, Sean. How you doing? Great, thanks. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, great. I was just listening. I just tuned in here, and I was listening, listening to what you are saying about the teaching, and uh, I agree with her that a lot of students don't know what we want. I, myself, 
I'm 23 and I'm entering university in my first year. Mm -hmm. I just now realized that I want to become a teacher and go into teaching, but it took a long time, a lot of soul searching before I could actually uh, decide what I wanted to do. Would you have been better off if you'd gone into university right out of high school even not knowing what you wanted, do you think? Um, well, I did go to college for two years and no, I wasn't better off. Mm. I actually, oh, well, I gained the experience. Yeah. of knowing what I don't want to do mm -hmm. and knowing that um, when you don't want to do something you don't necessarily put forth 100% effort yeah and uh, the so but I did gain experience but it's both good and bad you know I, I may have been better off actually possibly tra uh, traveling uh, rather than uh, kind of broadening your horizons that way yeah exactly yeah. what was it you took in in uh, college huh? I took science laboratory technology and uh, environmental technology I did like I did enjoy sciences, and so from that I do know that I want to take biology and kinesiology at university. Mm -hmm. But um, I do realize I don't want to work in a, a laboratory. Also, well, was that education at the college of any value to you at the university? Like, did it have any you know standing or status or credits? Did you get any credits for yeah. that? You know, honestly, I tried to find out, and in all my efforts, I didn't find out if it did or not. I don't know. I know I got in as a mature student mm -hmm. because um, I don't actually have my OACs, but I don't know if it actually helped me at all. Something to look into there, Sean. Yeah. Well, Thank I've tried, and nobody's actually come up with an answer yet. Well, that may some be something you don't know until you're 40 or 50 years old, yeah. Yeah, as yeah. strange as that may seem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sean, thank you for joining us. Great. Take care now. Thank you. And thank you, uh, Robert and Jeffrey, for your coming by today. It's always a pleasure is to it see you. over already? It yeah. is. An interesting <laughs> discussion today, too, I found. Anyway, and I yeah. hope you folks at home found the same, or uh, out, out, out and about today. Uh, on tomorrow's program, the Honorable David Tabucci will be our guest. He's coming at the behest of Premier Harris. We've been asking Premier Harris to join us, and... Uh, he always seems to be a little too busy doing this and that and the other thing, but he's sending Dave Tabucci along uh, to explain why we're all so much better off financially under the Tories. And he's going to tell us about all the good things they've done to lower our taxes and so on. Well, we've got some questions for him, too, because, yes, my taxes went down, but some of my user fees went up. And uh, I'm not opposed to that, but I want to make sure he understands that it's not all sweetness and light. You'll have an opportunity to talk to him as well tomorrow. We've got a whole bunch of other guests with us, so make sure you join us for the next edition of Talk of the Town. That's the Tuesday show. And a quick reminder again, uh, the uh, Jim Chapman column that was missing from Sunday's Free Press, for those of you who care about that sort of thing, uh, will be in tomorrow's paper.